from the heart of the Forest City, focusing on the biggest stories in London, this is the Craig Needles Podcast. Now here's your host, Craig Needles. It's the Craig Needles Podcast, and it's the Friday Roundtable, the first Friday Roundtable of 2024, and we are thrilled to be joined here in the studio by disability advocate Dr. Jeff Preston, former Green Party candidate Carol Dick, and Blackburn Media News Manager Scott Kitching. Hello, everybody. Thank you for being here. Pleasure. Howdy, howdy. Uh, lots to discuss today, lots to get into, lots going on. But, uh, you know, as we get into budget season, there was a story that came out this week surrounding the proposed pay hikes for a couple of politicians at City Hall. So the positions getting hikes would be deputy mayor and budget chair. So that means that uh, deputy mayor Sean Lewis and budget chair Elizabeth Pelosa would find a, uh, a late Christmas gift under the tree, which is a few extra dollars for their work this year. Now, I've all, for a long time, been on the record that uh, counselors are uh, an underpaid position in the city right now, based on the size of the city, workload, things along those lines. So I'm okay with this, but I know that there's going to be some political difficulty here from the timing based on the type of tax increase we're about to see. Uh, Scott, do you think that th- there's, there, uh, there's never a good time for a politician pay raise, I guess, but I- I- is it something that we can just have to live with, I suppose, that this is happening? Well, notwithstanding the fact that I, I am generally opposed to to the idea of of uh, people setting their own pay and, and giving themselves pay raises, I truly don't have a problem with this. Um, as as someone who, as part of his his position, uh, his his uh, his job is is to do budgets. They're a hell of a lot of work, um, and 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 I mean the ones that I do are are. Very, much, very much, small much smaller. The billion dollar budget. <laughs> exactly. I uh, wish the Blackburn News oh had a billion God. dollar budget. Tell me about it. Uh, but, you know, like, like it's a lot of work. It is a lot of work to put together uh, a budget. And, and to put together a budget um, for, a, for a, a city of 400,000 people is a ton of work. So I, I honestly, I can't find it in myself to to be upset about this or to be outraged by this. I understand that there are going to be people there will be people who look at this through that lens of, you know, here's here are the politicians giving themselves more money again, but I think in this case it's warranted. It's it's warranted and it's really hard to find reasons to be opposed to this. Uh, Carol, does the fact that that Mayor Morgan's using the strong mayor powers in order to do this, does that change this at all for you? Or No, it doesn't change it at all. I mean, I am absolutely in gr- agreement. Like, I think that these pay raises are justified. I agree with the comment that was made by Deputy Mayor Lewis that, honestly, the deputy mayor position for a city of this size that is growing as quickly as it is should become a full-time position. And if you think about any job in the private sector where you are suddenly have a larger portfolio than you had before, there is usually some kind of financial compensation for that. Already, we have the city councillors are underpaid, in in my uh, view. Um, but both uh, Councillor Lewis and Councillor Pelosa are extremely hardworking. Like these are both people who would be very deserving of their raise. They give their all when they are, you know, dealing with a budget. This is a lot of work that goes into that, as you just mentioned. And yeah, there's going to be pushback, and there probably be, will be pushback for some people based on the strong mayor um, powers that were used for this. But I just don't see how we can expect the councillors to put in so much work 
for so little compensation. And you're going to lose really good people who could help the city just because they're like, I, you know, I'm putting in however many hours, well above 40 hours a week. It is a full-time job for very little compensation. Yeah, it's not a lot of money, Jeff, relative to what similar responsibilities it hold in the private sector. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I, the, the sense that I have when I look at this story is you get what you pay for. And right now here in, in London, we are paying for counselors to be part-time and you get what you pay for. Right now, we are asking deputy mayors and budget chairs to, to take on this huge amount of responsibility and you get what you pay for. I think that if we were compensated our city politicians better, uh, we would probably raise the quality of people. No, no disrespect to the people that are sitting around the horseshoe right now, but I think there are a lot of amazing people in London that probably would more seriously consider a run as a city councilor, if they knew that they were going to be able to take care of their families with the pay that they were receiving from City Hall, which right now, unless you're working another job, is really not viable. So I think if we want to talk about enhancing the skill set around the horseshoe, if we want to talk about enhancing the diversity around the horseshoe, then we need to talk about compensating people fairly. And I think this is a good step in that direction. Well, and I, I may be out in left field on this one, but, but I've noticed... Um, and call it a call it a generational change, if if you will. But but uh, historically, I, I think in and and there are there are comparisons between politics and and the industry that Craig and I work in. Mm-hmm. Ra- radio news historically has not been a particularly lucrative profession. Radio companies have have for a long time relied on people's passion for the job. You know, people do it because they really want to do it and they really feel like it's a, a, a calling, if, if you will. And so they have accepted lower salaries than, than perhaps what they were worth or what they deserved. Right. Mm-hmm. That's changing. As somebody who has done hiring in this business over the last several years, I've noticed it's changing. People aren't willing to do that anymore. They expect to be compensated fairly for the work that they do. And I think there, there's an analogy there with, with municipal politics. I think historically we've had a lot of councillors who have done this because they felt like it was important. They weren't doing it for the money because the money wasn't there. It, it is a it is a job here in London that that does not pay it what it should. And so I think in years past we have kind of expected, I suppose, that that people are doing this for the love of doing it and doing it because they think it's important. And my concern is that we're going to see that same sort of thing happen. In, in municipal politics that we've seen in, in this industry where people aren't going to do it for that reason anymore. They're going to want to be fairly compensated. And I think we need to really look at, like like you said, Jeff, we're going to get what we pay for unless we start paying paying more and treat this like the full-time job that it is. Yeah, and it's it's more than a full-time job if you're doing it right. Yeah. Yes. Absolutely. Because for some people that work there right now, it's not a full-time job. Yeah. Well, <laughs> for some people, it's a job and a half or two jobs. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that that's the tricky thing as far as figuring out who's getting what. Yeah, but some counselors are very visible. They're really out there. They're constantly um, connecting with the, um, the constituents in their ward. And, you know, for them, if you if you even just look at them in social media, they are out there on the weekends, their evenings, they're visiting different businesses. I mean, they are so busy. And that's on top of everything they have to do within the the city hall as well. So I feel like, you know, for a lot of them, that's a big ask and it should be fairly compensated. 
Yeah, I, I, I think so too. And I've got no problem with it. I've got no problem with raising the compensation rates for council as a whole. I think maybe that we do get better candidates in 2026 if we were to do that. However, we are about to pass a multi-year budget. And that multi-year budget looks like there is going to be, I, I'm not going to ballpark it at this point, but there's been talk about 10% tax hikes in year one, or even like just below that. So we're talking about the eights and the nine somewhere. And we're seeing other municipalities come in with very similar numbers. So this is an awkward time to discuss that, Jeff. And it just makes you wonder how much are Londoners willing to accept for a first year of a tax hike? Because in Toronto right now, we're seeing the, the firestorm come and Olivia Chow suggested 12%. I don't think we're going to get that here, but I don't know how much more people are willing to pay in times when money is already tight for a lot of folks. Yeah, we're at an, we're at an, an interesting sort of vector point or an inflection point uh, where you have these two pressures, right? You have this this cost of living crisis that's happening right now, which arguably no one could see coming. I mean, 10 years ago, if you could tell me that there was going to be a pandemic uh, in, in about seven <laughs> years, and we should start batting down the hatches. Um, I mean, I guess you're- I would have bought some stock. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, I mean, among other things, or maybe just build a boat right. for, the flo- uh, for the flood that's coming. Um, but then on the other hand, you know, there were a lot of Nostradamuses here in London who, I know, a few years ago, well, a while ago now, there's a mayoral candidate saying, I want to freeze taxes. I'm going to freeze taxes for four years. And there were a lot of very smart people in London saying, if you freeze taxes for this long, yeah, you're not paying the taxes today, but you're going to have to make it up tomorrow. That you are just kicking that tax burden down the road. It's going to have to catch up. And that all may seem fine if you anticipate a future gain, an endless return on your investment. And that's not what happened. And so we're now at the point where we need to pay the piper. The piper is here and wants this cash. And if we're going to continue to stay afloat with our services, we are going to have to raise taxes. And so everyone right now that's really frustrated by this concept that are angry or upset, I want you to remember how you feel right now the next time a politician tries to buy your votes by saying, I'm not going to raise taxes for four years. Yeah, that's uh, that's good advice. And that it was just it was an, an unnecessary. I still remember that's the, the second year of zero years. Three and four didn't get to zero for a variety of, of negative political reasons. But I got a parking ticket. Because uh, my car was parked outside of City Hall because it went, the meeting went so late into the night that uh, I had to go out to my car and see the parking ticket and think, well, look, I helped him get to zero with my $35. <laughs> that was nice of me to do. I, I should have walked into Joe Fontana's office and just thrown the ticket at him. Uh, yeah, that's a tax. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's exactly. a tax, yeah. Joe. Joe, you're paying this for me. Uh, I would have thrown it nicely. Uh, yeah, it just, it, it's something that we are paying the piper for now. And we're paying the piper in this way. London police and London transit, I suspect when it comes time to go to City Hall and make your pitch for, hey, here's how much money we want, they are both going to say something to the following effect. We are, relative to our peer services and peer cities around this province, significantly underfunded on a dollars per capita basis. They are going to say that and they are going to be right. And one of the reasons they're right is because of a couple of false zeros that we've had and increases that could or should have been coming to those services, depending on how you feel about them, uh, that didn't. And then we're going to be in a situation where those services and the the people who run those services, uh, be it Kelly Pelechny, be it Ty Trong, are going to say, look, like 
we're paying way less dollars per person for transit here in London than we are in Hamilton. We're paying way less dollars per person for policing here in London than we are in Ottawa or Kitchener or whatever it is. And that's going to be, I think, for a, a lot of councillors, a compelling argument, do you think, Carol? Yeah, I, I think it will be. I mean, I, I first want to say I absolutely agree with your comment about the frozen taxes. I mean, that you absolutely should be wary of any politician who does that. And we are seeing this confluence of crises all at once. We know that we need extra money to deal with um, homelessness and addictions in the streets. And now also we have underfunded organizations within the city. And uh, yeah, I think those arguments are going to be compelling. I, I also, I think about our library system, uh, yeah. the news yes. that was following on that, the, the state of disrepair of the libraries and libraries are key to any city like that, especially for people who don't have access to internet or just for the social aspect. It's been very important since the pandemic. They absolutely need more money. And I think they're just, these are just three of the organizations that are all going to come forward and say, you know, we need more and we I think should. 70 something business yeah, cases. Like, it's a lot. This was the thing. All we did was mm. rob the future by not paying more taxes before. And there is going to be obviously a lot of pushback from people in the city because there is such this crisis right now with affordability and people are really struggling. But we also can't let everything run into disrepair. It's going to be even more expensive to deal with it in the future. Scott, do you think that Londoners, I'm not going to say for the most part, but on, on some level will be understanding of, okay, you're in a bad situation here. So I know that my taxes are going to go up eight point something percent. I, yeah, well, I mean, no one likes their taxes going. No. Um, but I think realistically, I mean, if you, if you're someone who, who avails themselves of, of municipal services like libraries, um, if you are someone who believes that, that having a well-funded transit system is important, if you're someone who believes that, that, uh, you know, who, 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 takes at face value the the notion that that on a per capita basis London police are underfunded relative to other cities if you believe all of those things then I I wonder how you would have a difficult time accepting uh, a tax increase of that magnitude that being said it is the absolute worst time to do this to, oh, yeah. to Jeff's point about about the affordability crisis mm. um, lots of people are struggling lots of people are going to look at that tax increase and say I I can't afford this right now yeah. I've already tightened my belt in this area and that area, but the unfortunate part of all of this is is that a lot of these uh, requested increases are needed, are necessary, and so what the the political impact of that is going to be is difficult to say. But I think you know I I think there is a a, a certain percentage of the population in this city that understands the position that that the city is in. And, and I guess if you break it down to, to, to dollars, like if you say, you know, this 8% increase is going to mean, you know, this much for a, for a home assessed at $100,000, God knows where you find one of those these days. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, um, but I, would, I would hope that people would understand that, that some of these investments are in fact quite necessary. I hope so too. And I hope that people are willing to understand that just because you don't ride the bus, uh, that doesn't mean that you don't get anything out of an investment in the bus system and things along those lines. I, I, perhaps I'm naive. Uh, but I hope that's something that happens. We'll see. I, I think it's going to be a very interesting budget deliberation 
for a lot of reasons, but one of them is this is a four-year path that we're setting, right? Mm -hmm. It's not just the, we do this once a year, we do this once every four years, and we do a lot of work at the same time. And again, there's going to be a lot of business cases and a lot of organizations saying, hey, can you help us with this? Or hey, can you help us with that? And and the city, just quite frankly, is not going to be able to do all of them. Yeah. Yeah. I think this is an interesting gamble right now for the mayor's office and for, for people that are sitting around the horseshoe. The gamble, I think, is this, is a little bit of short-term pain, a little bit of anger, angst from the population. Uh, that might not be avoidable. However, if you make this investment and if people feel that their lives are better two years from now, this current anxiety or this current anger toward a tax raise is going to dissipate. If people have an easier time getting around this city, either because the transit system is more functional or because there's less cars on the road for your car because other people have leave their cars behind, that's gonna make people's lives better. If you have better access to your library, that's gonna make people's lives better. If we have a policing service that's, that's able to do the things that they need to do to keep us safe in a timely, respectful manner, that's gonna make our city a better place. And so I think the gamble is this. We can bring, the, and the city hall can raise the money, but can the people that they're invested in deliver on this promise mm -hmm. to improve things? Mm -hmm. And that's an interesting calculation that I think we might actually learn a little bit about where uh, Mayor Morgan and where the people are on the horseshoe counselors are feeling that the right bets are in the city. What leaders are they seeing in community that they see as being ones that they can invest in mm -hmm. to return to them the type of, of return that they're going to need in order to go back to the ballot box and say, yeah, we raised your taxes, but we also raised your quality of life. Mm -hmm. And that's something I'm going to be really interested to see how that plays out over the next month. Here's the interesting yeah. thing about that. A lot of the we raised your, like, let's say it's 8%. Again, I'm, I'm just spitballing it over here. Let's say it's 8 point something percent. A lot of that's going to be keeping things the way they are. A lot mm -hmm. of the reason you do the yep. 8% is for things to not get worse. That's harder to explain, I think, to the public. Look, yep. things would have gotten worse if we didn't do X as opposed to things are better because we did X. I think that's harder to explain. Yeah, absolutely. And, and that's going to be the uh, a difficult situation they wind up in. Now, uh, a couple of the business cases, I, I don't want to go too crazy with them because there's, there's a whole bunch in there. But I will say this. If I were a London city councillor and I knew that you kind of have to let the police hire a bunch of people, there's, there's, there's no way around that. What I would be thinking right now is this. I'm going to let the cops hire some people. And I know that people are not going to want to hear me say that. Some people are going to say, we don't need more policing. We don't need more policing. Uh, we've heard on this podcast several times, we do. Are there better alternatives of policing? Yeah, maybe. Are they available to London City Council? Not in 2024. So yeah, you hire the police officers. However, you say to the cops, we're not buying you to laugh, guys. Sorry. Like, you know, I, 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 I get yeah. that, you know, Absolutely. I get you want a lab, but we're not, we're not yeah. doing the half million dollars for the lab. And that way, when someone calls you up and they say, hey, we're mad at you for not supporting the police. Well, I gave them this number of officers. I, I, I voted in favor of that. Or if someone calls you and say, you're giving, you know, you just gave the police everything they wanted. I don't know. They wanted this big giant lab and I told them no. So you kind of middle it a little yeah. bit that way. That's, yeah. that's how I would approach it at least. But I, I'm, I'm not on council. 
And I, I do, I do want to just say, just from speaking to a lot of Londoners when I've knocked on doors, there are a lot of people that do see the need for more police officers because when they've needed them, they haven't had them. Yeah. Like their place getting broken into. It's happened in our neighborhood three times. People were waiting hours for a police officer to show up. There was a senior couple that was assaulted in their home. They, the police didn't show up till the next day, but they're just spread so thin. And those yeah. are the kinds of situations when you want... A police officer to come and help if you if you feel in danger and someone's breaking into your house or something similar so um yeah i mean obviously it has to be respectful there there needs to be some changes that people have been calling for but our police force is also spread very very thin but they don't need any they don't need the giant lap. Uh, yeah. yeah, no helicopters. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I would love it if we lived in a world where we could say, okay, instead of hiring X amount police officers, we're hiring X amount mental health professionals are going to deal with this number of mental health calls per year. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. That yeah. sounds great to me. And you know yeah. what? I think that maybe they wouldn't necessarily say it publicly so emphatically. I think there's a lot of people who are London police officers right now who would say the same thing to me. Mm-hmm. A really good way to help people who feel as though they're overworked is there's two ways. One, you hire more people to do the work. Yep. Two, you give them less work. Yeah. I think the less work idea is is preferable here. Let's yeah. give them less work. However, that's a complicated path that if you don't have the provincial government on board, it's Absolutely. just never going to work. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. It's yeah. never going to work. And this provincial government's not the group that's going to do something like that. <laughs> no. no. So it's, uh, it's going to be an interesting, interesting couple of weeks at City Hall. We'll, we'll say that. Uh, another thing that's going to be a big topic during the budget deliberations is homelessness. And, and, and councillors got a report this week that says, hey, you know what? They're doing all right as far as the winter response goes. There's, there's fewer people who are sleeping outside in the cold. And... Cold is a relative term. The last couple of weeks, like it's been chilly outside, but it hasn't been what we're used to for a Canadian winter. That is about to change. Mm-hmm. That is about to be different. We're about to see minus in the teens overnight temperatures as opposed to minus three overnight temperatures. Are we heading in the right direction on the homelessness thing or at the very least in the winter response thing? Do you think, Scott? I don't want to say there's a light at the end of the tunnel here because this is a huge problem. There's thousands of people that don't have a place to live, but positive step, do you think? I think there's reason for optimism, um, but like you said, there is a long way to go. I mean, here we are, the four of us sitting here in this studio at the corner of Richmond and Piccadilly, and I'm looking out the window, and I can see a homeless person sleeping on the sidewalk with a tarp over them yeah. in the middle of the afternoon. Yeah. Uh, we have an awful long way to go, um, but is this report encouraging? Yes, um, but there is, you know, any one person sleeping outside is is one too many um so and i've said this i don't know how many times this is an issue that requires a full court press uh if i can use a sports term um i don't know that i can definitively say that what we are doing in london is that full court press but i do believe that the people who are who are doing this work uh are working as hard as they can and they are doing the most that they can with the resources they have. I have nothing but respect for them. I have zero criticism for them. Um, but I think we're not there yet. And we have a long way to go. But I do feel a little bit of optimism here um, that we will at least get through this winter in a better place than we were 
you know, five winters ago. And, and, and the folks doing the frontline work here talked to London Free Press about this, and they say, you know, outreach programs along the Thames River have been helpful because there's a lot of encampments there, and we don't need to go to whole, down the whole encampment road again. I think encampments are bad. I also think that there isn't an alternative for a lot of these folks. So this is the situation we wind up in. Uh, I... I, I see. I think that there's. If people on the front lines are saying, "Hey, there's some positive trends here," I get that. that that's you, you can take that to the bank, but uh, still, more got to be done, Carol. Yeah. Well, I just feel like you know, a year ago there was the mayor's state of the city speech, and he prioritized. We, you know, we must deal with the homeless. And he announced crisis. twenty-five million dollars coming in. Exactly. For it. And I will say that in the past year, I feel like there's. A little more hope than there was a year ago when he first made that announcement. I feel that you know there's been a lot of collaboration. There's been lots of between the city and the different organizations. London is very lucky to have a lot of um, spectacular organizations that work with Indigenous peoples, women, uh, youth. Um, and I mean, it's unfortunate that we need to have so many of these organizations, but they do remarkable work. And so I feel like, you know, like you said, there's not a light at the end of the tunnel, but um, we, I feel like we're in a bit better position than we were a year ago. Um, and hopefully that will just continue because there is so much commitment by the city council and, and others in the city to address this issue. Yeah, Jeff, uh, I, I $25 million a year ago, I think that there might be some people listening to us right now say, hey, why haven't we seen a whole lot happen with that $25 million yet? And I think there are some things to be critical of with how the city has handled this and and what happened with the, the whole mess on Fanshawe Park Road. There are some things to be critical of, but how do you feel about where they're at right now? Yeah, I mean, I'm going to also borrow a, a sports metaphor, uh, I think, a little bit. To me, uh, I think right now it feels like we've won a couple games as a hockey team. Uh, we're, we're doing well. We're, we're moving in the right direction. We haven't made the playoffs yet, and we haven't won the cup. You know, there it's an 82-game season, folks. And so, yeah, I think that there are some there are some some signs uh, that things are moving in the right direction. It is thankful. I'm very thankful to hear that we are doing the things that are going to keep people alive this winter. What I don't want us to do is to look at that one-game victory and act like we've won the cup. Mm -hmm. There is still a lot more work before we actually get to celebrate that. And so that means that we need to look at not just the, how do we survive this winter? But while surviving this winter, we also need to continue to build toward not just how do we survive next winter and the winter after that, but how do we maybe get to a point where we don't have to devote so much time and resources to just surviving the next six months? How can we get to a place where we are able to say, we're actually able to look a little bit longer term now. Now we're able to look at things that we're going to want to do over the next five years. And I think that, that first investment, that was the first step in that plan. I think that's the first step. It's an important one. But we also need to remember that you don't win the cup in one day. You don't win it in two wins. It's going to take a whole lot of one hockey games if you're going to win the cup. And so we also need to have patience here and allow the people to do the work that's happening because this isn't going to be solved overnight. But as long as we can ensure that as many people as possible are making it through that night, then I think we're moving in the right direction. 
And I just want to add like one thing that is so so much of the time there's the focus on the winter response, winter response, but the summer response is just as important because especially with rising temperatures and we have s- extreme heat events, people are just as likely to perish because they are overheated. They don't have a way to get a- away from the heat. Um, so I feel like it instead of always thinking of it as this winter response, it has to be a year round, and that getting that into the the you know general conversation for all of the city because it seems like everyone talks about it so much in the winter but in the summer it it just kind of fades in a way in the terms that you know this needs to be emergency response yeah. in the summer as well yeah it's uh, a constant state of emergency to say yeah. the least uh last thing before i wrap up uh once again uh catholic school boards are in the news and it's for about the reason you might expect so the new ontario catholic curriculum is homophobic and transphobic according to advocates from the lgbtq plus community and that is what's been told to the Toronto uh, catholic district school board uh i would suspect you might see similar reactions in other school boards around the province i I understand that people might think, well, correct, you talk about this a lot, so everyone knows how you feel about it. Yeah, okay, great. Uh, we are still in a situation where there are however many MPPs at Queen's Park, and two of them agree with me. So until that number is higher, I'm going to keep talking about it. We need to defund Catholic schools. Like, if you want to have, if you want to have Catholic schools, that's fine. You pay for them yourself. Yes. Like, Pretty simple. Yeah. Yep. I, I, I'm just, I'm sick of dealing with stuff like this. I'm sick of, okay, there's a fight, there's a fight over a pride flag here. I'm sick of, there's, uh, you know, uh, an anti-abortion lesson in Woodstock that happened a few years ago. I'm just, I'm sick of dealing with that. Like, like, like and again, you want to have your own school, get accredited, set it up, have kids pay to go or their parents pay to go. And, and you do want to do that? Great. That's fine with me. But I don't understand why it has to be publicly paid for. And uh, the numbers speak for themselves. If we want to be serious about really saving money in education, you can find, what, a billion and a half there, according to the latest estimates. I I would be willing to bet you that number is higher. Uh, So maybe sometime, maybe the juice is worth the squeeze there, Carol. Oh, yeah. And I say this as someone I know that you have <laughs> you know. camped. You have knocked on people's doors and told them you will do this before. So I know I'm oh, preaching yes. the choir here. Um, yeah. I just, uh, you know, coming from British Columbia, where we do not have a Catholic school board, I arrived here and I thought, what? Why is this even a thing? Especially when our schools are struggling so much. There are a number of schools that do not even have air conditioning. And some of those schools can't even open their windows. The windows are sealed shut for safety reasons. And with rising temperatures, these kids are suffering. If we also have got problems with not enough EAs, we don't have the mental health supports for kids in the schools. They're, I mean, basically everything is, is run very, very um, you know, tight budget because we have to duplicate everything. And from my point of view in Canada, um, a very multicultural society with people practicing many different religions, the religion should not be funded by the, um, by the, the province in any way. We need to just have one school board, save the money, invest in the things to make it that our schools are safe for our kids and welcoming. Dr. Preston, you may disagree. 
and I know you work in the educational field, and uh, I know you work at King's University College. Your thoughts? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, huh, uh, just, why, just why I die here. Yeah. Uh, no, I. So I, I, I come at this from. Uh, I have I've experienced I think in both worlds. I started my education at a Catholic school. I switched over to a public school um, when I was in elementary school and stayed in the public system all the way up. Went to university uh, and then ended up hired uh, at a Catholic university. Uh, and so I, I I see I don't want to say I see both sides because uh, I don't think that's true. I think I've experienced both sides, and I would say that I I agree that. It is weird that we fund one religion. One lucky religion. One one religion to have their education. And I don't know that there would be an appetite or even a budget for us to expand uh, to have uh, religious schools for every religion. Uh, I don't even know how the province would do that. Mm -hmm. Uh, That seems impossible. Uh, And so it feels to me like public funding should be devoted to public education. And that if public funds are being used for education, then that education should fall in line with the quote-unquote public belief system. Um, and under the Human Rights Code, for example, things like homosexuality are legal. <laughs> they are your right. You are welcome to be a part of this community. And so public funds shouldn't be used to undermine or undermine that type of message. My question or my, my curiosity uh, and this isn't an opposition, but my curiosity is to understand what might happen if we pull the Catholic system out. Because at the moment, especially in towns like London, I wonder how much of the volume of students is currently being managed in part because of, because of Catholic schools that exist. And that if you see a contraction in the Catholic school system, where are these students going to go? And are you going to be able to find the teachers and the EA support to to manage that? And so if we're talking about converting all of the existing infrastructure of the Catholic school system into the public school system, yeah, that would work. But if you're talking about separating them, a schism between the two, we could end up in a situation where the government needs to build a whole bunch of new schools and hire a whole bunch of new teachers, which... Not a bad thing. I'm a little biased in that, I guess, as a teacher. I'm never going to say it's a bad thing to hire more teachers. I think we should already be doing that. But I think that there may be some some complexity here that I think for, for the average listener, we might look at this as saying, oh, it's an easy choice of just cut the one, stick with the other, and away we go. And I wonder if perhaps some of the trepidation at the provincial table is this is a really bound up situation and we don't even know how to untangle this necessarily in a way that isn't going to make us look very silly down the line. And so the status quo is safe, so we're just not going to touch it. I I think that's part of it. It's a third rail type of thing for for most of the parties. And I know other provinces have done this, but the world has changed since that happened. Mm -hmm. I just, I think in a lot of cases with the MPPs, it's more of a, you know, fear of moving away from the status quo because they might lose votes. So wanting to just, you know, you don't want to lose the Catholic vote, so you're just going to say we're going to keep it as is. They're just not willing to rock the boat or even answer the question if you put it to them. I mean, in, in... I, obviously, there would be a lot that would have to go into how this is going to work to to remove the one school board. But I just see th- that a lot of it is just going to be t- 
taking the schools that were the Catholic schools and they're now just going to be public schools without the educate the religious component within the school and the teachers are also teaching within that that system um, but obviously it could be significantly more complicated than that I remember one time talking with Merritt Stiles on the on the radio years ago in my previous job and I put the, that to her because she was education critic at the time I'm like well what do you think of that and, and you know, I think I, this study says you could save you know this one point whatever billion dollars and she said oh, I don't think that's true I'm like oh okay like do you have anything that counters that? And she didn't really have a whole lot, which, mm-hmm. I, again, I understand it's, it's party policy. She's not going to make policy with me on the radio as much fun as that would have been. <laughs> um, but at the same time, it's like, it's it's a matter should, of, Shouldn't this be an issue that makes sense for the NDP? I know that there's yeah. teaching unions that wouldn't be happy about it, but... Well, look, I mean, I, I will say this. Um, credit to, to your party, Carol, for being the only one that has the courage to have, as party policy, uh, one publicly funded school system. Um, for the NDP, you're right, Craig, this should be right in their wheelhouse. And it's not for one reason and one reason only, and it's political courage or perhaps the lack thereof. Mm -hmm. And you're right, Carol, it's about losing Catholic votes. And one only needs to look at the reaction to when John Tory attempted in a admittedly (laughs) ham-fisted kind of way (laughs) to to address that inequity uh, where we have one... You know, like Craig said, that lucky religion that gets its its schools publicly funded. John Tory tried to address that, not by taking the 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 big step yeah. of of merging the, the school boards, but rather saying, okay, if you are a Jewish parent, we're going to make it easier and we'll less costly you for you. Yeah. We're going to give you a uh, uh, we're going to kick you a tax break for for your uh, for your kids' tuition. If you're a Muslim parent sending your child to a private Muslim school, we're going to kick you a tax break. Uh, and look what happened. Dalton McGinty decided to to do take one of the most disgusting things and, on yeah. that has ever been done on an Ontario election campaign trail. I have never. I lost every bit of respect I had for Dalton McGinty on that day, and I've never given it back. I have never been so disgusted. I've you know we, we've covered our share of of politi- <laughs> of, uh, of provincial election campaigns, and never have I been as disgusted as I was. By, by what Dalton McGinty did that day, by saying, by going to a Catholic school for a campaign event and saying, we are the party that will keep uh, Sharia law out of Ontario. No, I mean, I it's like, you have got to be kidding me with Oof. that. I mean, like that was so cynical and disgusting. And I just, yeah. Um, but if you look at what happened to John Tory, just by merely just trying to address it in, in, an, you know, in a half step, if you will, he, it could probably cost him the election. And so I don't see either of the three major parties suddenly developing the courage to, to do what I believe and, and, you know, a lot of people believe is the right thing and going to a one publicly funded, strong school system that is not exactly. based on religion, but rather based on, on educating our children and, and creating the next generation of leaders. Yeah. And I, I feel very strongly that school should be a place that is a safe place for kids where they should feel welcome and they should not feel any kind of guilt for who they are or, or shame for who they are. And if, if the education system is putting into your mind that you are somehow um, outside what is the norm of society and then you start to build that shame, this is exactly the kind of thing that does end up, you know, 
when we look at the drug crisis that we've got right now and the homelessness crisis, it starts often with things that have happened to children. And if your school isn't a safe place and you don't feel accepted there and the curriculum is somehow making you feel um, inadequate or flawed, that is problematic. And that, to me, should not be part of the public education system. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's yeah, that's uh, where I stand too. Well, we'll leave it there just because we're uh, running up against the clock here. But thank you so much to Scott and to Jeff and to Carol for coming and doing the roundtable with us again, the first of 2024. Thank you for downloading and listening. Hope you had a great Christmas and great New Year. We'll be back with a couple more podcasts coming up next week. I know we didn't get to a couple issues this week, including this whole disaster surrounding Staples becoming Surface Ontario. <laughs> I think we're going to talk about that on Tuesday if you're looking for my takes on that. So enjoy your week and we'll talk to you next week here on the Craig Needles Podcast you can find at londonnewstoday.ca and classicrock981.com. The Craig Needles Podcast is a presentation of the Blackburn Media Podcast Network. 